Shri Gaudiya Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Sri Jiva Goswami Ki Jai, Satsandarbhas Ki Jai, Anantakota Vaishnavinda Ki Jai. Glorious devotees, thank you so much for attending another presentation on Srila Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We are reviewing the Parva Sutra at the beginning of his Krishna Sandarbha. And today uh, we will be discussing the a specific uh, pastime wherein um, application of the Pariva Sutra is uh, properly uh, provided by Srita Jiva Goswami uh, in his Anuchedas. Again, this is all in support of the Pariva Sutra, these few classes here. Um, and then after he's completely supported it, Jiva Goswami has is now proceeding to show its application uh, and how it should be utilized when one is studying specifically the Srimad Bhagavatam. Now, today's class, he'll also um, he'll begin with a narration from the Srimad Bhagavatam and then expand on that as it appears in other Puranas and show the proper application of the Pariva Sutra there. So again, just so we completely understand, Jiva Goswami is pounding the post. He is making sure that, that we, as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, who are the audience of the Samdharvas, which he made clear at the very beginning uh, of the treatise, uh, that this is for those who are in pursuit of uh, Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna as their ultimate attainment. So this Pariva Sutra that we see in the Bhagavatam as spoken by Sutta Goswami, it's not viewed equally by all Sampradayas as having the same significance in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And for that matter, the Srimad Bhagavatam itself does not hold as much significance in other Vaishnav Sampradayas as it does in Argodiya Sampradaya. Now, Jiva makes very strong arguments as to how uh, it should be seen by all Sampradayas as the topmost uh, spiritual praman, scriptural praman, I mean, uh, in the context of praman is provided to us where we, where we, place our faith uh, in ev evidentiary faith, uh, primarily that is in scripture. But as we've gone over, uh, we can see Praman also coming uh, to us uh, through the guru. So at a certain stage, we may even only accept as evidentiary in our spiritual understanding, the statements of our guru. 
And then we may, he, from his statements, he's going to encourage us to put evidentiary weight in the Shastra. Um, and from there, we learn of the significance of Sadhu Sangha. So we expand from just the Shastra to Shastra Yukti, or the understandings of Shastra, which are coming from the primary sadhus uh, in our lineage. So Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, these things, these three are our primary evidentiary force. And based upon where we stand um, in our personal spiritual development, we may put more emphasis on one over another. And the expert spiritual master is, is quite adept in schooling us as to the proper application uh, of our faith, how we should apply our faith according to our time, our place, our circumstance. And our circumstance, of course, is very much dependent on our personal qualification. So, again, all of this, Sandarbha, the Krishna Sandarbha, the fourth of the six Sandarbhas, is based primarily on this verse from the very first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Iti chamsa kalapumsa Krishna stu Bhagavan swayam indrari vyakulam lokam mridayanti yuge yuge. So, specifically, the one stanza, Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam of this sloka is constitutes the Pariva Sutra or the key to understanding the entirety of all 12 candles of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Again, one of the interpretive forces uh, for uh, Srila Jiva Goswami in his presentation is hermeneutics. And from here, we see that it's not simply the definition of hermeneutics itself goes beyond just simply the application of rhetorical rules to how we interpret scriptural texts, wisdom texts, philosophical texts. It goes beyond the rules. It is an art, an art of understanding and an art of communication. And we see this art through the Sanskrit terminology of Jiva Goswami, Shastra Yukti. And as, as Jiva Goswami stated himself, he sees Shastra Yukti as the supreme praman, how are the shastras understood, interpreted, and delivered by the sadhus who are adept in their spiritual practice, who are advanced, 
how do they interpret the scriptures? That is more important than just what we could call a copy and paste of a sloka from here or there to support one or another spiritual conclusion, which we may see as being significant. We have to take the whole picture into account. So that, that requires some real expertise, and that expertise comes through fine discrimination, which is developed in good association. And it comes gradually to us as we advance in our spiritual practice. So we're going on in this 29th Anucheda, wherein uh, Sri Jiva Goswami is supporting the Parivas Sutra. And first he supported it uh, in so many ways. And now he's going on to its application. Up to this point, the application was to look at the Parivas Sutra in relation to individual statements coming from the Bhagavatam. Now he goes on to a specific narr narrative in the Bhagavatam and shows the proper application of the Paribas Sutra, where one who simply would look at a statement from this episode um, could could take it in a literal meaning, its literal presentation, to mean something more than what it actually does when seen in proper context. And again, seeing in proper context is what we refer to as Shastra Yukti. So Jiva writes in his 29th Anucheda in this third subsection of the section, as we learned, uh, an annotate itself is a section of his dealing with a specific subject. So this is a subject subsection, and he writes here, in the same way, this declaration, Pratijna, Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam, also rules, rules over the episode of Mahakalapura. Moreover, Shastra is educative and education, takes the form of instruction, which is of two types, direct and indirect, or by way of another meaning. Direct instruction has been termed shruti. The meaning of the word direct here is that such instruction is not dependent on anything else. As is said, an independent statement is called shruti. Such being the case, we may refer to Jamini Sutra, shruti, inferential, inferential mark or word meaning, linga, sentence or syntactical connection, vakya, context or, inter or interdependence, pakarana, 
position or order of words, stana and name, samakya, are present simultaneously. Each member is progressively weaker in interpretive force because of increasing remoteness from the meaning. So Jiva's schooling us here that when there's a statement in Shastra, a wisdom text, a philosophical text, uh, a direct statement, he's showing all the different kinds of statements um, that we may see. And those statements have different evidentiary weight. And the topmost evidentiary weight lies in a, in a direct statement, like the statement Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. And then an indicative statement, a statement that's indicating something. Uh, it's inferring, uh, it's giving it an inference, um, inferential meaning. Uh, or the syntax, how it's put, how the sentence is put together, and the context, what, what, where is the sentence at? The word order, uh, when we look at Sanskrit, it's very, it's a very precise language. So the position of the words means a lot in in the Sanskrit language, and of course, name. So, Jeeva Goswami continues in this Anucheta, in accordance with this rule of the various levels of interpretive force, the subsequent interpretive criteria is further removed from the correct ascertainment of meaning the one than the one that precedes it. In other words, Shruti's at the top of the list, and it 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 has less interpretive force the further down the list that he just gave us from um, from Yamini Mutri Muni, uh, the less the interpretive force it possesses. So the statement, Krishna, however, is Bhagavan himself, is Sri Sutta's direct statement to Sonika, and it overrides contradictory instructions conveyed through inferential marks, linga, in historic narrations, in historical narrations, such as those in Bhagavat Purana and Mahabharat. So the direct statement rules over. It should not, Jiva continues, not be conjectured that the presiding Lord of Mahakalapura, Mahavishnu, had himself imparted just such a direct instruction to Krishna when he said, and now Jiva quotes from the Srimad Bhagavatam's 10th canto and the narration that he's, he's unpacking for us, and showing how it should be properly seen in context. Specifically, uh, linga here, what, what, what is the statement that's being made and how should we read it in light of, its, of the context? 
uh, of the narrative. Being desirous of seeing the two of you, this is Mahavishnu speaking, Krishna and Arjuna, I had the sons of the Brahmana brought here. You are both my parts, Kala, who have descended upon the earth for the preservation of Dharma. After killing the Asuras, who are a burden to the earth, quickly return here once again to me. So hopefully everyone that's listening to today's presentation of Jeevas, Krishna, and Dharma is somewhat familiar with this incident from the 10th Canto. Uh, just a quick recap. Krishna is ruling over as a prince um, the capital and all the citizens um, in Dwarka. And irrespective of his leadership there, one Brahmana family, year after year, when they, a child is born to them, that child immediately dies. So the Brahmana, after a few years of this, becomes extremely upset. Uh, he can find no fault in himself, uh, which would result in such a reaction. He, he knows his conduct. So therefore, he switches the attention of his remorsefulness in losing this child, his children year after year, uh, to, the, to the government leadership. <laughs> and that happens to be Krishna. And he's, he's, he's blaming. He says there must be something wrong with, with the, the management of the government. They must, there must be something wrong here or my sons would not be dying because I'm a citizen of this um, community and my sons are dying and, and I can't find a fault in my, my personal conduct. So it must be in the conduct of the, of the leadership. Uh, Arjuna hears of this. He puts himself forward as uh, as not agreeing and 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 he's in order to protect the reputation of Krishna, uh, he vows that he will personally protect the next birth of this Brahmanas. Um, and to that end, uh, when it's time for the child to be delivered, he he goes. Uh, to their residence, he uh, utilizes all of his uh, powers as a kshatriya. He he casts um, his potency, I believe, in in the form of uh, uh, arrows. He he protects the whole home, and irrespective of Arjuna's protection, uh, the child dies. So, of course, Arjuna is very distraught, and he, he personally uh, takes 
takes the matter in hand and he begins to search the universe uh, for the child of the Brahmana, uh, going, of course, uh, first to uh, the planet of death and then to other planetary systems. And fortunately, uh, he cannot locate this unborn child any place in the material creation. So we can imagine the power uh, powers invested in Arjuna to be able to uh, make such a comprehensive exploration of the uh, universal arrangement, uh, looking for these this child. So he 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 becomes despondent and he's ready to take his own life um, in defense of the character of Krishna and. Uh, Krishna himself intervenes and he says, no, uh, come with me, Let, let's, let's explore a little further. And Krishna actually takes Arjuna on his transcendental chariot uh, through, through the universal coverings uh, to the residence of Mahavishnu. And in this narration, Mahavishnu is referred to as Mahakalapura. Uh, he's the lord of that that location, the, the supreme lord of, of time, so to speak. And there uh, he finds, they find not only the, this particular child that has just died, but all of the child, children of the Brahmana. And they were able to return the children um, and bring great joy to this Brahmana who was living in the kingdom presided over by Krishna. So this incident is related in the Srimad Bhagavatam's 10th canto, 89th chapter. This and another incident in regards to uh, which of the Guna avatars is supreme. But this particular incident, uh, both of them are, are meant to highlight the transcendental position of Bhagavan Sri Krishna uh, when he advents. <clears throat> so the Krishna and Arjuna, when they went to Mahavishnu's planet, uh, a narration ensued. And this particular verse is from that narration. And it would appear here that from the statement of Mahavishnu that he's giving spiritual direction. He's saying, I want to see you. And then he's going on to say uh, the purpose of their descent as his part, Kala, uh, is to preserve Dharma. And then he goes on to say, and after you've finished this and relieve the burden of the earth, preserve Dharma, killing the Asuras, then return here to me. So Jiva's unpacking this. He continues. He says, this is not to be interpreted as a direct instruction because in his Mahavishnu's request, it is not the intent of this Mahapurana to portray him as a preceptor of absolute reality like Sri Sutta Goswami and others, since Sri Krishna is unfailingly omniscient 
since there is no mention of any such prior relation as instructor and instructed between Mahavishnu and Krishna, and since Mahavishnu himself states in the same verse that he has a different motive, being desirous of seeing the two of you, I had the sons of the Brahmana brought here. However, the words used in the Lord of Maha Kalapura's directive are closely related to another meaning which will be stated later. So Jiva's saying, don't look, look at the instant, put it in proper context. If we put it in context, we can see that Mahavishnu's other statements that followed his initial statement that I was desirous to see you um, should not be seen as a direct shruti, as a direct statement. Um, there's another meaning there. And now he's going to unpack the meaning and explain to us how we should read it. Jiva continues. Then again, we may even consent saying, let it be so, or may you be thus appeased. And in so doing, admit that Sri Krishna is less complete than Mahavishnu. Nonetheless, it will be shown in Anucheta 9 that all the avatars are eternally situated in their own intrinsic forms, in their own respective eternal abodes accompanied by their own eternal associates. Furthermore, according to the opinion of some others, even though Krishna is himself the Purusha, he has his own independent separate, separate existence. In light of these considerations, the statements of Mahavishnu, you too are the sages Nara and Narayan, go and adhere to the observance of religious princes, principles, dharma, and quickly return here once again to me, will be contradicted. So we can see there, this, this, is, this is a fine art to simply take a, a scriptural statement or a scriptural narrative and this narrative itself is occurring in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And looking at it simply as a direct statement, taking its literal meaning of every word that's put forth and not seeing it in context and not seeing it in light of stronger spiritual statements, the young student, student of the Bhagavat Purana could walk away with the, with the wrong interpretive meaning. Jiva Goswami's satsandarbhas are very much about instructing us as Gaudiya Vaishnavas into how to arrive at the proper interpretive meaning when we approach the Srimad Bhagavatam 
specifically and other scriptures generally in acquiring spiritual knowledge and understanding. Jiva Goswami continues in his Anacheda, setting aside our other arguments, there is no account narrated anywhere at all of Mahavishnu's descent in the particular forms, Amsa, of Krishna and Arjuna. So there's no support for Krishna and Arjuna being manifestations or amsas coming forth from Mahavishnu. There's no support for that. Jiva Goswami continually continues. Consequently, to propose such a thing would be to introduce the defect of an imagining as common knowledge a notion that is not established anywhere in scripture. Additionally, in the verses themselves, there is clearly mutual contradiction between the two instructions. One, quickly return here to me, and the other, you two are the sages, Nara and Narayan. Go and adhere to the observance of religious principles, Dharma. We, as students of the Bhagavat Purana, as aspiring to, to walk in the footsteps of the great Acharyas and perform some little service to them, really are benefited by this comprehensive unpacking as Jiva Goswami is presenting in his Sandarbhas of how to approach scripture. It is so important. And we can even see in our contemporary um, discourse that certain devotees will take statements out of context. They will apply a, a literal interpretation to something that clearly should be seen from a figurative viewpoint. And in this discourse, we're not going to enter into any of those particular situations that are prevalent in our contemporary Gaudiya community, but they are there, and we need to take a very serious notice of the ap proper application of Shastra Yukti as it's being put forth by Jiva Goswami in his Sandarbhas. He is, he is our, the, the primary force in our sampradaya for understanding scriptural interpretation. 
And for us to be schooled by him, even if we personally don't have the qualification, we don't have the background in Sanskrit, we don't have the background in the various philosophical schools, we're not schooled in all of the different rhetorical uh, standards that he utilizes in putting forth his arguments in support of his statements, simply to allow ourselves to be absor absorbed or to absorb our consciousness in his presentation is it is very a uh, very beneficial even if all it does is make us humble it 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 humbles us at at the fact that i want to be able to to help humanity in some small way assist my guru in some small way and how to do that with the dignity and etiquette and humility that makes anything that I may do in their service significant. Um, it, it, re it really is, is beneficial. That's, that's all I can come back to. It's so beneficial. If all we walk away from is, a, is an utter humility, I, I'm a, there's no way that I can convey these meanings. But I can convey the humility of knowing what I don't know. And when I do speak or try to convey what I've heard from my spiritual master and from scripture, I do it with the utmost respect. Just as we approach Vraj and, and all the residents there, Pujala Raga, we, 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 we are very, very respectful. And if we, if we maintain that respect towards the scripture, and towards the scriptural arguments that are put there by the, the masters of scripture and by the, by the founding acharyas empowered by Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu, accompanying him from, this, from his transcendental abode uh, here to spread Krishna consciousness and give the topmost to human society. Golo care, prema don. It's a magnificent and very humbling position uh, for us, and uh, to take to walk away from these kinds of narrations, even if all we walk away with is somewhat overwhelming being overwhelmed by what's presented, uh, it's, it's all good. It's very good for us. And this study of the Sundarbas, uh, I, I have to say, has, has put me in that position of a, a complete, uh, a student forever, uh, knowing that the, there's so much that I don't know.
Jiva Goswami continues. However, if Krishna and Arjuna were Mahavishnu's Amsas, then because he witnesses everything in existence at all times, a gem held in his own palm, he would have been able to see them too, even from afar. This, however, is contradicted by his own words. I had the sons of the Brahmana brought here because of my intense desire to see you. It is concluded, therefore, that these two personal forms of Krishna and Arjuna can be seen by Mahavishnu only if and when Sri Krishna himself makes them visible to him. Such being the case, they cannot be Mahavishnu's parts because the ability to see the two of them was absent in him, whereas the part cannot withhold its perceptibility from the whole. Rather, it is being pointed out that because he has greater power, Sri Krishna is complete, more complete even than Mahavishnu. Such a profound insight <laughs> that Mahavishnu, he, he, he's presiding over all the material manifestation. It's flowing forth from him, irrespective of his position in that regard. He could not enter into and personally observe Krishna's Prakat Leela unless Krishna granted him that vision. So this alone, his alone is evidence to the hierarchy of the various manifestations of the Supreme Lord. And of course, it's evidence in regards to this particular narrative of the distinction between Krishna and Arjuna and that of Mahavishnu. So this statement of him being an Amsa, despite the direct statement in the Srimad Bhagavatam verse itself, um, does not hold evidentiary weight when compared in context to the other statements made by Mahavishnu and in the context of the entire narrative of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Jiva continues, even then the blinding of Arjuna's eyes by the effulgence of Mahavishnu and the fear he felt on seeing him are not contradictory. Even though Arjuna did not experience such symptoms on seeing Krishna, who being the whole Amsi of which Mahavishnu is but the part, Amsa has greater effulgence still. This is due to the fact that Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna himself manifested only as much potency as was suitable to nourish that particular Leela while withholding his other potencies, even though they were present. 
Additionally, it is observed that at times even he himself is overcome in battle, even by ordinary human beings. Again, we see here, Goswami is pointing to the significance of uh, Prame and how it presides over the Leela in such a way that that Prame, and in this particular instance, the, the Sakya Prame between Arjuna and Krishna, it's Although Jiva Goswami is not speaking specifically about that, he's indirectly pointing to that as indicative of the fact that Krishna's internal Swarup Shakti, and specifically in relationship to his Leelas with his Prem Bhaktis being presided over by Yoga Maya his internal potency, um, certain, we have to see these interactions in relationship with the entirety of the overriding principle of the love between Krishna and his eternal associates, his devotees, and even his sadikas. That that prame rules over over in such a way that that love is nourished uh, foremost in all of these interactions. So in this particular interaction, it appears Mahavishnu. His effulgence was so magnificent that he was blinded by his effulgence. And but the narrative is saying your your Jiva Goswami is bringing out the point that Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the supreme manifestation. He's at the top of the hierarchy of of Godhead, and Mahavishnu is is secondary so much so that he can't enter the the leela and even experience it without Krishna's uh, providing an opportunity to him for such an entrance and such for such vision of his pastimes, his intimate pastimes, even his uh, prakat leela, which is happening within. Uh, the material universe presided over by Mahavishnu. So Arjuna's, he's hanging out with Krishna as a friend, and Krishna's effulgence isn't blinding him. But in this particular narration, he's being blinded by Mahavishnu's uh, effulgence. So, how to see that? And Jiva's schooling us. It has to be seen in this way. You have to take into consideration the entire context. You have to understand the hierarchy. And what are we discussing here? 
you have to properly apply the key that unlocks the mystery and the secrets of the entire Bhagavat narration. The entire narrative of the Bhagavat Purana has to be approached uh, utilizing the Parivasutra, Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam. Jiva continues, similarly, in this very episode as well, the apricot horses that had come directly from Vaikuntha lost their way due to material darkness. In identical, in identical manner, Sri Krishna's beholding Mahavishnu with reverence should not be regarded as inappropriate because on other occasions, he displayed such reverence towards Sri Rudra, Narada Muni, and others, although they are not on a par with him. In this way, no objection can be raised on the basis of this particular or any other leela of his, because he is supremely independent in his behavior. How independent? At the Rajasuya sacrifice. He can personally wash the feet of all those that are coming to attend. This is Sri Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, taking on such a humble position. Uh, whereas all those that are coming to attend, they should be as the result of the Rajasuya sacrifice. He was elected as the topmost worshipable personality in the entire assembly. But still, he took on a subordinate position. So similarly, his, so his taking on of subordination is part of the various Leela narratives. They go to enhance his position, not diminish it. They are an ornament. Uh, to his transcendental character and his transcendental subordination to the love that he exchanges with his devotees. Jiva Goswami does continue. Therefore, the sense derived from the purport and the word meaning of this episode is to be understood exclusively in this manner. In coherence with the Pratijna, Krishna, Stu Bhagavan Swayam, the declarative statement, the sense derived from the purport is as follows. So Jiva is really not giving us any room to misunderstand any of this incident. He writes, in the Lila of worshiping Govardhan, Sri Krishna manifested a particular divine form of his for the play of amazing the cowherd people. Although he is Swayam Bhagavan, he himself offered obeisances to himself in that form along with them. Similarly, for the play of amazing Arjuna, 
he had the sons of the Brahmanas stolen through his form of Sri Mahakala. Along the way to Malakalapura, he arranged to have Arjuna experience various wonderful things, and on arriving there, he showed him his particular divine form called Mahakala. Then, along with Arjuna, he offered obeisances to that form of his, and in that same form spoke the aforementioned words to himself, accompanied by Arjuna. In regard to the formal episode, Govardhan Puja, the following is said, accompanied by the residents of Raj, he himself, Sri Krishna, offered obeisances to himself in that form. Also here in the incident of Mahakala, it is said, Bhagavan Achuta offered obeisances to himself, the unlimited. Therefore, in Harivamsa Purana, while referring to the effulgence surrounding Mahakala, Sri Krishna himself told Arjuna, this is my effulgence, which is eternal. Additionally, the sense derived from the word sabda themselves is as follows. Referring to Sri Mahakala, the adjected Adjective, Purushottama, I'm sorry, Purushottamotama has been used. In this compound qualifier, the word Purusha refers to the jiva. Superior, Uttama, to him is the imminent self, the Antaryami or Paramatma, who is thus. Purushottama, superior Uttama, even to that imminent self, is he who embodies the power of Mahakala as the effulgence of Bhagavan. So Jiva Goswami is here breaking down the hierarchy of these various manifestations coming forth from Krishna. Krishna is manifesting these different forms uh, for different purposes, and they serve their purposes, but they must be seen according to the proper hierarchy um, in relationship to Krishna and through the proper application of the parivas or the key to understanding the Srimad Bhagavatam and the narrations contained therein. We'll finish with a little bit of uh, commentary on this. Further elaboration. Lord Mahakala, an eight-armed form of Vishnu, reposing on the coils of Seshanaga. So this is gives us a visual representation of what this form of uh, uh, the Mahavishnu is is what his where he resides, and uh, it's it's relayed here that uh, this Mahakala is an eight-armed form of Vishnu, and then 
some more, I've taken some select statements from the commentary. Uh, direct statements are called shruti. They are independent utterances. They can, that convey their meaning without any intermediate steps, as in the case, as is the case with indirect instruction. A direct statement of this sort is supremely powerful and can override any indirect means of interpretation. The hermeneutics of contextual analysis is the subject matter of Jamini Sutra, which has been cited in this section. The declaration, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, is taken as a Shruti statement, direct and unambiguous. The statement of Mahakala, on the other hand, is not direct. Mahakala's statement, therefore, should be taken as a linga or inferential mark and not a shruti. The power of words is called linga. A linga is always overwritten, overridden by shruti because to apply the former, something has to be assumed. In this case, we have to suppose that Mahakala is specifically the, the difference between himself as Bhagavan and Krishna as his amsa. Such an assumption, however, contradicts the Shruti statement and is therefore rejected. So even in Srimad Bhagavatam, even a statement made by the Lord himself in his manifestation as Mahavishnu can be rejected if it is not a direct statement and if it's seen in the context, in a, in a context, uh, even, even if it appears to be an instruction by the Lord himself in his form as Mahavishnu, it is not accepted. Rather, it is rejected if it contradicts a Shruti statement, and specifically in regards to a statement in the Bhagavatam, the statement which is the parivas of the entire presentation. We'll read on in some of the commentary here. A couple more things to be said. One may object that Mahakala's statement is Shruti and not Linga because it is a direct instruction by him to Krishna. Sri Jiva Goswami counters this argument by pointing out that Krishna is omniscience, omniscient and hence not in need of any instruction regarding his status. Moreover, he did not travel to Mahakala as a student to learn about himself. There is no such occasion for instruction. I'm sorry, there was no such occasion for instruction. Rather, Mahakala revealed that he stole the boys out of intense eagerness to see Krishna, the primary objective of the, of the whole incident. In contrast, the statement Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam was made by Sutta Goswami while instructing the sages headed by Sunaka at Namasharanya. 
It thus represents the final conclusion of a formal teaching about the avatars that was taken up at their own request. There was no such context in the meeting between Krishna and Mahakala. On the contrary, Mahakala's longing to Sri Krishna implies that such was not within his own self-determined will. In other words, it was not his will to instruct Krishna. Rather, his will was to have his darshan, and therefore he arranged the whole incident. We'll conclude here. Sri Jiva Goswami argues further that even if it were admitted that Krishna is an avatar, the implications of such a state of affairs would violate Mahakala's statement that Krishna and Arjuna are Nara and Narayan, and that they should return to him quickly, where return implies reabsorption into him. This cannot be so, because all the avatars eternally exist in their own intrinsic forms, in their own respective eternal abodes, accompanied by their own eternal associates. If Krishna and Arjuna are Nara and Narayan and are to be reabsorbed into Mahakala as he parts, as his parts, they would no longer be eternally manifest. In this event, the eternal scriptural prescriptions regarding Krishna's worship would become meaningless as they would relate to an istadeva who is manifest only temporarily. So some interesting insights here. I will stop at this point in today's discussion and reading from Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. If there's any questions, we can address those. And if not, I will sincerely thank you for your kind association. Panchakalpatubhyascha, Kripasindubhyevacha, Patitanam, Pamadevyo, Vaishnavijanamonam. Hare Krishna. Krishna Kirtana Gaurana Pano Premamritam Bani Priya Karavu Nirmasaram Pujitavu